0: Thank you, worship team Uh, for those who I I haven't had the pleasure of meeting yet. My name is Matt McFarling, and I am one of the pastors here. I've I've had the privilege of preaching for you twice before, but this is the first time I've had the privilege of preaching as one of your pastors. So uh, thank you for giving me. (laughs) Thank you. That was Paul, if you couldn't tell. (laughs) So thank you for that privilege Um, So this is the second Sunday of Advent, but because last week we were finishing our series in Jonah, this is actually our first Advent sermon. Uh, So if you would please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, we'll be reading verses 26 through 38, and uh, if you're using one of the blue Bibles in the chair in front of you, that's on page 855, page 855. So Luke chapter 1, we'll be starting in verse 26. Uh, Please do stand for the reading of God's word. Hear the word of the Lord. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Please do take a seat. And spend a moment to reflect on it. My wife, Elena, and I watch movies differently. I don't know if other couples are the same way. Um, But we we can watch the same movie at the same time. But the way we experience what's on the screen and the way we, we process it emotionally is very different especially if the movie is suspenseful or intense like an action thriller Um, for elena the tension and the stress become very real and and i'm not picking on her i promise The, the tension and the stress become very real and intense or disturbing scenes might sit with her for minutes even hours after watching but for me most of the time after the movies after the movie is done it has little to no lasting effect on my emotions so elena's often been curious of how i can move on so quickly and go back to my normal routine of life and i'm sure the answer to that is multifaceted has a lot of factors part of it could be uh, that i was a film major at uncw so i can kind of Uh, focus on technical aspects of film, like lighting or sound design, editing. But the simplest way I can put it is, I'm good at distancing myself. Deep down, I, I can remind myself that it's just a story. So I can watch the story, I can even enjoy the story, but after the story ends, it wasn't real. I just move on with my everyday life. Now, sometimes this is a blessing, but other times it's a curse, because I can treat Christmas the exact same way. If you're like me, sometimes you're good at distancing yourself from the Christmas story. Every year we might read our Advent devotionals, we sing our Christmas hymns, we put up our nativity scenes, we we get caught up in all the festivities, but we treat it as if it's just a story, and we quickly get brought back into our normal routine and the normal stresses of everyday life. But I want to remind us this morning that Christmas is not just a story, Christians, we, we believe that what we just read in Luke chapter one actually happened in history, that a virgin conceived in her womb and gave birth to a son, and this son was, was Jesus, was the Son of God, coming into our world to save us. We believe this is real history. But it's not just history, it's news. This is news, as the children saying this morning, go tell it on the mountain. This is news that is urgent, that is urgent for us to hear and is urgent for us to repeat. This is worthy of front page news, even 2,000 years later. There is nothing you will watch on the news today or tomorrow or any other day until Jesus comes back that will be more relevant and more urgent than what the angel Gabriel tells Mary in this passage. So this Advent, I want us to know that Christmas is not just a story. It's news. It's news that changes everything. It's serious news that requires a serious response. It's true for us, and it was especially true for Mary in our passage. So I want us to see three things about this news. The first is unlikely candidates. Unlikely candidates. Part of the magic of Christmas is that God picks people and places that no one else would ever pick. In verse 26, the angel Gabriel is sent to Nazareth. We know very little about the town of Nazareth, but what we do know is not impressive. The population may have been between 200 and 500 people, so approximately the size of this church is the entire town. And this town is never mentioned in the Old Testament. It's pretty fascinating when you think about that. There's a lot of places mentioned in the Old Testament. And this is a town in Israel that is never mentioned in the Old Testament. It probably had a reputation of being podunk and undesirable. If you remember the Gospel of John, uh, Philip comes and tells Nathanael, We found the Messiah. It's Jesus from Nazareth. And then what does Nathanael say? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now Bethlehem ends up being Jesus' birthplace. And even though Bethlehem is small, it's at least full of Old Testament significance. It was the hometown of David. But where Jesus grew up and where his family was from and where he began his ministry was the undesirable town of Nazareth. And then there's Mary. We don't know exactly how old Mary was, but since she is betrothed to Joseph, it's, it's similar to engagement. Think of betrothal as like a legally binding engagement. So you're not yet married, but you have signed some legal papers. So since she's betrothed to Joseph, we can assume that Mary was the normal marrying age for a Jewish girl in the first century, which would have been in her early to late teenage years. It's so like f- between 13 and 19, somewhere in that range. Now, Mary was a believer, but in the eyes of the world, she was no obvious candidate for God to use. She was a teenage girl from a small, poor town. Now, I've, uh, before coming here, I worked in youth ministry at another church And you can imagine, a little over a year ago, when our first son, our our only son, Bridger, was born, what did every teenage girl in that youth group want to do? They wanted to babysit. I have nothing against teenage girls, but personally, I have a lot of trouble having a teenage girl babysit my son. And yet, for God to choose a teenager who's never been a mother before, No mommy blog wisdom to raise the son of God. It's a story only God would write. A question that gets asked a lot, and it's a good question if you've never asked it, is why did God decide to place Christ in a poor family from Nazareth rather than an influential family in somewhere very important, like let's say Jerusalem? Ponder that question and see where it takes you. There are many answers that you could say to that question, but one of them is this. It was a display of how low Christ was willing to go. It was a demonstration that the gospel is for all people. This good news wasn't coming only to the rich, to the influential, to the ones with so-called knowledge, but was coming to the poor and to the outcasts. So much so that the Son of God became an outcast. God uses unlikely candidates. The second is undeserved grace. Undeserved grace. When Gabriel appears to Mary, he says in verse 28, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now that word for favored in the Greek, O favored one, is the same word we get the word grace from it's the same word in greek so to be someone that's favored is to be someone that receives grace could be from a fellow human being or in this case grace from god and gabriel repeats this in verse 31 you have found favor or found grace with god and that should leave us wondering how did mary find favor with god boy, I would really like favor with God. And this phrase, to find favor, is found all throughout the Old Testament. Again, sometimes from human to human, other times, like in the case of Noah, uh, between human and God. And one commentator noted, every instance this phrase is used, the person who found grace or found favor was never actually looking for it. Instead, grace found them. The second point of the sermon is undeserved grace, but there really is no other kind of grace, is there? Grace is, by definition, the undeserved love of God. Now, in the 400s A.D., there is a theologian named Jerome who translated the Bible into Latin. It's what's commonly known as the Vulgate. If you ever heard of the Latin Vulgate, this is what Jerome translated. And, uh... In the Vulgate, he translated this phrase, O favored one, in verse 28, as full of grace. And this this might be starting to sound familiar to you, because over the years, Roman Catholics took this translation and turned it into a prayer to Mary, saying, Hail Mary, full of grace. And, and this didn't happen all, as, all at once. It wasn't necessarily Jerome's fault. He just worded it a certain way, and then theologians over the years took the wording and, and, and men took it to mean something else. But as Catholic theology developed over the years, Mary started to be seen as another mediator, as, as a dispenser of grace. She's been called the mediatrix of all graces. She began to be viewed as one who gives grace. So the idea is, well, how do we get to the Father? We get to the Father through Jesus. Well, how do we get to Jesus? We get to Jesus through Mary. So we need Mary to give us grace to get to Jesus and so on. Uh, That is according to some Roman Catholic theologians. But that is not how the scripture describes Mary. Nowhere here or nowhere else in Scripture, Mary is described as a dispenser of grace. Here, she is only a recipient of grace. She is only one who receives grace. And there is no grace where there is no sin. It's safe to assume Mary was godly, perhaps even devout, but she wasn't sinless. She was a sinner in need of forgiveness like every other human being born since Adam she needed God's grace, and God gave her grace. Now, don't hear me say we should regard Mary as a nobody. Sometimes evangelicals are guilty of that. Mary had the greatest privilege that we could ever imagine. But what we are saying is that even this privilege, even this privilege to carry Christ in her womb was not something that she earned by her own devotion or even by her own willingness, but she she received as a gift of God's undeserved grace. There's grace for Mary in this passage, but there's also grace for us. Look at verse 31. Gabriel says, behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. The name Jesus was a pretty common name, but it is also a name that was packed with meaning. The Hebrew would have been Yeshua, which is what we know as Joshua. And the name means Yahweh is salvation or Yahweh saves. Either one can work. Remember Joshua in the Old Testament? He was the successor to Moses. He led God's people after Moses passed away. And Joshua, uh, he saved God's people by conquering the enemy and leading them into the promised land. That was a type of salvation, That God's people experienced. And God's people in the first century, in Mary's time, were hungry for a second Joshua. They wanted a Messiah to come and free them from Rome. They were occupied by Rome at the time. They wanted a Messiah to come and save them from Rome. But what did Jesus come to save us from? In the Gospel of Matthew, an angel appears to Joseph, repeating much of this same news, and explains further. It says, uh, The angel says, You shall call his name Jesus, Yahweh saves, for he will save his people from their sins. He came to save us from our sins. Jesus offers a greater salvation than Joshua ever did. Sometimes we don't even know what our greatest need is. I'm sure they would have loved to hear the news of someone coming to save them from Rome. But rather than the need that was most obvious to them, Jesus came to to save them uh, from their greatest threat that they might have not even been aware of, the threat of their own sin. He came to save us from our sin. Like Mary, we are sinners in need of a Savior, and we can only be saved by God's grace. A preacher named Sinclair Ferguson once said, Grace is not a thing. Grace is a person, and his name is Jesus. Grace is a person, and his name is Jesus. So embrace Jesus as your Savior, and you will be saved from your sins. That is the simple and beautiful news of Christmas. Christmas is news of undeserved grace. Third is Unstoppable power. Unstoppable power. Jesus entered our world in a lowly state. He entered our world in poverty, in a no name town. But he was destined to be king. Look what Gabriel says in verse 32. He says, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Yet again, this is a reference back to the Old Testament. In the book of 2 Samuel, if you're familiar, in the book of 2 Samuel, God promises to David that there'll be a king, a a descendant of David that will reign on David's throne forever. And even more specific, that this king would be called the son of God. But as history played out, There were a few dozen terrible kings. And the nation, the entire nation, turned away from God. So David's throne was empty for 600 years. For 600 years, there was no king in Judah or in Israel. Just as a reference point, that's over twice as long as this nation, the United States, has existed as a nation. 600 years. And during that time, the people were occupied Or exiled by multiple oppressive kingdoms. One after another. Times were dark. For God's people. And you can imagine they're thinking. Has God given up on us? Has God forsaken us? Gabriel says. Thank God that the answer is no. As we just sang. God is faithful to his promises. God still had a promise to keep. And this child Jesus would reign as king forever and his kingdom would have no end. Christmas is not only news of a little baby Jesus, but it's news of a victorious king Jesus who rules and reigns over us and defends us from our enemies. It's news of the coming king. Now, Christ's reign as king is a glorious display of power. But the greatest display of power that we see in our passage actually happens on a microscopic scale. Gabriel has told Mary that she will conceive and give birth to a son. But Mary knows enough about the human body to ask in verse 34, how will this be? Since I am a virgin. There's nothing suggesting that Mary was a virgin forever. She eventually married Joseph and they had other sons that were half-brothers of Jesus. But she was a virgin at this point and unmarried at this point. And she's asking, how will this be? She was so amazed, she just had to ask how. And this is probably a question of amazement rather than a question of distrust. And in verse 35, the angel answers her. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. The child in her womb is the Son of God. The child in her womb is none other than God himself. And this is a fulfillment Of the prophecy in Isaiah, which came over 700 years earlier, that read, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Oh, God is with us. God indeed was with Mary. God dwelled in Mary's womb. And this is what we call the incarnation The Incarnation. This is an incredibly important doctrine and mind blowing doctrine in the Christian faith. As Christians, we believe the Son of God has always existed. God has always been a Trinity the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, three distinct persons, but one God in essence. And in the Incarnation, 2,000 years ago, the Son of God took on human existence, he took on human flesh and a human nature. He had a human mind and human emotions. He took on full humanity. But I want to think about this this morning. Is that when the Son of God took on human flesh, he did not begin his human life as a man. Or not even as a fully developed baby. The Son of God began his human life at conception. Which is... A fertilized egg. And I was so curious, I looked this up, and according to to the source that I found, at three weeks pregnancy, a fertilized egg is one-tenth of a millimeter. The Son of God became one-tenth of a millimeter. And that fertilized egg developed into an embryo, and then a fetus, and then for 40 weeks developed in the womb of Mary growing nerve endings, fingernails, eyeballs, and brain cells. The God who created man now became a man. The God who created the world was now in the world, and not only in the world, but in a womb. The incarnation reminds us that human life starts at conception. Because it's when Christ's human life began. He'd always existed. he's, He's existed from all eternity, before there was time, before there was creation. But the way he came into the world was in the womb of the Virgin Mary. Think about the power that's on display in this miracle. The eternal Son of God, the creator of the universe, the one who is perfect, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, emptied himself and tabernacled in the womb of Mary taking on the most fragile form of human existence to come to us. And even as he developed in her womb, he upheld the universe by the word of his power. That is the incredible power of the incarnation, truly God and truly man. So how can this be? How can this this thing that we just described really come to pass? Verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. Perhaps maybe even a better translation of that, uh, the word for thing can also be the word for word. It's the same thing that Mary says at the end when she says, let it be done to me according to your word. So, So a better translation might be, for no word will be impossible with God. Nothing that God speaks will not actually happen. What God says, he does. What he promises, he fulfills. So Gabriel came to Mary with news that changed everything. You can imagine being on the receiving end of this news for the first time. This is serious news that demands a serious response. It's not meant to just be a story that we move on from. So what should our response be? Well, let's look at Mary's response. In verse 29, it says, Mary was greatly troubled when the angel first visited her. Now, why was Mary troubled? In the Christmas play uh, this afternoon, I haven't read the script ahead of time, but I'm assuming at one point we'll see an angel, and that angel will probably be a beautiful child dressed in a white sheet with a gold tinsel halo over their head. And we're just, gonna, we're just gonna be gushing with adoration over this beautiful child. That's not the angel that Mary would have seen. Angels in the Old Testament or in scripture, the normal response to angels was fear. It would have been terrifying to be in their glorious and holy presence. But what's interesting here? is that it doesn't say that Mary was most troubled by the appearance of the angel. In verse 29, it says Mary was troubled by the saying. By the saying. And this was right after Gabriel's initial greeting that said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. So Mary hadn't even gotten all the details yet, except there's there's something In this initial greeting, this message of grace that we talked about, Oh, favored one. There's something about this message of grace that troubles Mary. Why would Mary be troubled by this message of grace? We don't know for sure. It doesn't tell us. But putting ourselves in her shoes for a moment, It could be that she knew this, that grace is free, but it's not cheap. And that something that required an angelic visit to her, even if it was good news, was going to cost her something. And for Mary, it cost her more than many of us could ever imagine. This news cost Mary any hope she had of ever having a normal life. It could have cost her her marriage. In the Gospel of Matthew, it tells us that Joseph was considering divorcing Mary until an angel also visited him and set the record straight. It cost her her comfort, and it brought her incredible pain. As she saw her 33-year-old son innocent and hanging from a criminal's cross until he died. The Bible says a sword pierced her own soul. So when Gabriel first speaks, Mary is already troubled. Gabriel then gives more detail, and then Mary's final response is in verse 38 that says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. What incredible faith. Mary is willing to say, thy will be done, even when she knows the road ahead will be difficult. Mary has faith in God's ways, even when they cost her. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. But for God's people, this is the good news, for God's people, he always gives more than he takes And he only takes in order to make room for more of what he's about to give. So in this news, the Lord was taking a lot from Mary. But what did she receive? She received Jesus. She received Jesus. And the same is true for us. None of us will be called to carry Jesus in our womb. But we're all called to carry him in our heart. And to carry Christ in our heart, we have to carry our cross. And that will cost us, as it cost Mary. But what do we gain? We gain more and more of Christ. That's why Paul can say in Philippians, I count it all as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. In verse 38, Mary calls herself the servant of the Lord. That's a noble response. And that should be our response. But the beautiful news of Christmas is that the Lord whom she was serving was actually coming to serve her. The Lord whom she was serving was actually coming to serve her. He came to take on her poverty, to take on her human weakness and human limitations. But most importantly, to take on her sin and to take on our sin. So the beautiful news of Christmas is that God became man to serve you. Will you trust him? Will you trust him and believe in him? And that even when he's taking from you, you have the faith to hold on and know he's only making room for more of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for giving your son to us. Lord, this Advent, let us not distance ourselves from this true story, from this incredible news, but let us embrace Christ and receive your grace. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.